Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guests today are the Douglas brothers, Andrew and Stuart Douglas, a couple of best mates from London, world-renowned British photographers and directors and siblings. You may know them from their early work in the late 70s and 80s, London punk scene, taking non-traditional, rule-breaking portraits of non-traditional, rule-breaking people, such as Morrissey, Tilda Swinton, Bob Geldof, Daniel Day-Lewis, and many, many more. You may also know them from prolific work in the 90s advertising campaigns, such as Polaroid and Adidas. I'm fascinated by the personal story and the dichotomy of their work over the last 30 years, which is a great example of a kind of creative Darwinism, adaptability, and perseverance. It's so cool to be here today in Santa Monica. We haven't seen each other for like 10 years. Um, and prior to that, we worked together back in the early 90s in London, uh, doing, a, doing a lot of work with um, Polaroid. Uh, and we did a lot of shoots around the, around the world together, which was incredible. But, uh, you know, today, 2018, uh, coming to the end of 2018, it's so cool to catch up with you guys face to face and just kind of see where you where you've got to. You've been on a quite an incredible journey over the years. And um, you know, both of you now living in LA. And so I guess it's gonna to wanna to talk about, you know, what was you know, what was a turning point for you guys? Turning point which way? Well, which which way yeah. kind of like cha- changes in your life. And and also, you know, you guys were um and you still are obviously huge in the in the eighties, um, as the Douglas Brothers. 80s, 90s, and you, you shot album covers, music videos, book jackets, you know, a lot of editorial work, etc. Um, it's obviously you've come a long way since since those days, and, and you're in a completely different country, different situation. Uh, but, but funny enough, that though, that that stuff we did with you was a turning point in a way, because up up to that point, we were doing, as you say, a lot of book jackets, a lot of editorial. None of that stuff ever paid any money at all. I mean, uh-huh. we would we would do two or three different things a day just trying to earn a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we started working with you and doing stuff for Pentagram, when you were at Pentagram yeah, yeah. Uh, and doing those projects, and then when Polaroid came along, it was actually a kind of commercial project for us. So in a way, that that showed us the potential out there for different types of work, but also work that would actually, we could make a living. Mm. So in a way, in a way, that stuff was a turning point for us. There was another turning point, which was fun. We made a portrait of Susan Sontag before she died, and and she was with Annie Leibovitz in those days. And Annie Leibovitz had just been commissioned to start shooting a series of portraits of um, interesting people for the new Gap Mm. shops. So that tells you how long ago that was. Mm -hmm. But the new Gap shops. And um, and so um, Susan Sontag must have said, oh, there are these... Brothers, I don't know if they're twins or, or what, but identical twins. But there are these brothers who, who you know, use this old funny equipment and do portraits. And so, so Annie Leibovitz included us in a in a in the campaign. You know, so she so we were photographed by Annie Leibovitz, which was a trip in itself. Mm-hmm. And um, but then, interestingly, um, it became um, a, a kind of self fulfilling prophecy because we'd sit in our studio. Back in Clerkenwell, before Clerkenwell uh, hit 
the boom time, mm-hmm. we'd sit in our studio with no work at all and no money and watch buses go by <laughs> with these great big pictures of us on How it. How funny. Isn't that funny? Presumably that, that was around the world. That was around the world, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know all I remember was that one bus would go with us and then the next one would have Miles Davis. Yeah, Miles Davis, that's you know right. That, I mean, come Fantastic. on. And Ricky Lee Jones. Big time, yeah. the big yeah. time. So it was funny because we weren't really working. We were doing a lot of edit- a lot of portraiture for magazines and stuff, which is why we'd been in in New York in the first place to beat Annie. But um, we weren't doing a lot of, uh, you know, good money work. Mm. And so we started to pick up work because people would see these people. They go, well, I... You know, so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it was kind of some of the best PR we ever had mm. to some extent. Well, I think, I mean, everybody in the industry knew of the Douglas Brothers and your work. Your work was iconic. You were kind of like, you know, pushing the boundaries of printmaking, et cetera, and how you applied it. I thought that was obviously unique as well at the time. It was, diff- it was different then. I mean, if you look at uh, directorial partnerships now, photographic partnerships, g- in general creative partnerships, they're called us or them or <laughs> yeah. me and you. Yeah, and, yeah. and all sorts. But, but back then, <laughs> there were the Starn Twins who were just uber cool yeah. and still are probably. Out of New uh, York? Where were they? Out of New York. Yeah. Out of New York? Yeah. Uh, but there weren't many, there weren't many people working together in the uh, in certainly in photography, I mean, you had Gilbert and George over in the East End doing their stuff. I think it was considered cute for us. It wasn't cute for us. It was just it 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 was it was obvious. I mean, the the um, the inception of Stuart and I coming together. Stuart's my younger brother, and um, um, he came together to kind of he'd, he we'd worked together when he was he's ten years younger. So when he was still at school. Um, I was doing my first flush of punk album covers with the jam and people like that. So Stuart would bunk off school and come up and assist me on these album covers. So I have this set of, I have a, a kind of collection of Polaroids uh, where I'd always test the light using Stuart for the uh, jam cool. Polaroids. So he was, so there was, I suppose we didn't really think of it, but there was always a chance that we would be together. And then it took another 10 years for Stuart to come into the business, I was kind of in the doldrums slightly. And then, um, and Stuart was going to try and pep up, you know, my profile a little bit. But what started to happen is that we'd, we really both started to shoot. Like he, he was an art school graduate anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and we both started to shoot and it became kind of interesting and we developed a way of shooting together. And I think it was so odd for people because it really challenged the idea of author. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. like, well, who's clicking the shutter? Well, I'm not really sure. No, but one of you is. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know who, though. So what would happen in our portrait sessions, and th- this wasn't always liked, by the way, but often in our portrait sessions, they had a kind of uh, f- casualness about them, an informality about them, which was, you know, very snapshotty. And they would be chatty and snapshotty because... Um, only one person at a time was really taking the attention. So yeah. often the picture that was the most compelling would be the picture that wasn't taken in the kind of strict portrait um, configuration. So we just, we, we just kind of refined that over, over the years and then we both found different ways of printing and we both enjoyed using older technologies as yeah. we found our kind of visual language of the time. 
I remember like prefab sprout album covers where you just would stick Polaroid printed Polaroids on it and stickers and paint on it on a board and then photograph that. I mean, that in itself was quite uh, unique in that moment when everything else was quite pristine. Yeah, yeah I think there know? was an irreverence to that that we really liked because at the time we were punky a little bit. Everything at the time was all about artifice and the surface. It was all about all about the sheen. Yeah, and uh, and we couldn't actually afford the sheen anyway and um, probably didn't really know how to do it so we that's did, not, we did that's not true we did the bits we could that's not true uh, you, well, you, you gained momentum with that because people that you still were shooting all the stars of the moment weren't yeah, you yeah 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 it was just it was a little it was bit grungy before yeah. we even knew that word grungy um years later um uh, a little anecdote years later when we were still shooting film and you'd still take your you know you'd take your instamatic to the to the chemist and they'd process and give you yeah. prints and um and if there were prints that were kind of wrong or out of focus they they would give you this list of things that you'd done wrong and i realized once when i saw them i don't know who whose it was <laughs> but i realized we'd built our entire career on that list of things to do wrong <laughs> like shoot into the sun or shoot blurry or mm, shoot movement fogged or, film, or, or fogged film film or yeah. under like we'd done so our entire visual language was based on the Kodak don't do list. The Kodak yeah, yeah. don't do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked like, I mean, I, I, my studio was nearby in the end, but um, it was always cool, the energy within your studio. Uh, you guys were, like, pretty prolific. Um, it looked like you knew what you are doing <laughs> when you were shooting away. Well, there, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, I remember an article that was in the, I think it was in the Independent, and it, it goes, it was something like, have you seen their studio, says Vince Frost. It's just like their portfolio. It's an utter mess. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, because the portfolio oh, was a scrapbook because we, we didn't have, we just didn't make a great portfolio. So everything that was printed, we just stuck it down in the book and that's what went out. And it, it, as Andrew said, it was kind of punky and people either responded to that or, or they just threw it aside and never called us. The thing that I thought was stood up for me, like hit me in the head like a, a hammer and I've said it so many times to other people, was one thing you guys said to me was that there's a lot of photographers out there who have two portfolios. One is the commercial work, and one is the work that they really love, you know, stuff that they're really proud of, but for some reason they're not getting commissioned to do the stuff they love. They love. And you said to me, I don't know which one it was, doesn't matter because you don't take claim for any, any one thing, um, was that just have one portfolio and just do what you believe in. And that's what you should put your heart and energy into, and that's what you attract as a result. And that really stood out for me. I hope it was you guys. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, no, I'm pretty we, sure we, it was. We, and it was we, really like that was determination. We tried to do that. We tried to blur that boundary between art and commerce, mm. um, just because it was an area that actually uh, suited us, suited our combined sensibilities. Um, yeah. And we liked the word blur, so that was good. Do you remember? Um, <laughs> do you remember you'd make? Um, magazines like great big magazines big oh big magazine big, yeah. big magazine yeah and um there was another art director we knew from Ligas Delaney what what you would do is you'd come to the studio and you'd go through our plan chest yeah. and find pictures and put that's them in right. a magazine yeah. and uh and that's what um Dave Dyer Dave Dyer Ligas, Ligas Delaney, Delaney yeah. would do he'd yeah. he'd he'd have he wouldn't really have an idea he'd come to the studio grab a stack of pictures of something and then write copy around them mm. So we have to remember this is before the internet. I mean, today you just Google oh, I know. images and yeah. drag them in and put them in mock-ups or steal stuff. Like yeah. then, 
it was all about the physical work, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. And you'd have to find, and that's what was cool, is that looking through your drawers, yeah. you'd find stuff that no one in the world yeah, had seen. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. cool. We, um, yeah, so we, we, we worked it like, a, I mean, we needed the money, no question. We, we weren't, uh, you know, we were broke most of the time, but um, we worked still. it like a, an artist studio, really, I suppose. You know, we'd go in every day, whether we were working or not, and produce work every day. Um, you know, do put, you know, try different different ideas every day, and that transitioned into videos, right? Yeah, we went through a period of videos, uh, but then we got quite lucky. There's another turning point, actually. Another break was that um, an advertising guy, Tim Delaney, who ran Ligas Delaney, um, had a new account, which again, this is a long time ago, had a new account, Adidas, mm-hmm. the famous Adidas. Which at the time was a was a was kind of languishing brand. It wasn't really doing very much, and Nike was doing everything. and um, And he was uh, tasked with with elevating the brand, and um, and his solution to that was to give Stuart and I money and time, and and told us to go off and shoot films and shoot photographs of you know loosely around the theme of athleticism, and that. And we thought that was advertising. Like, that was our introduction to advertising. With no no art direction. No art direction, just kind of, you know, and then we cut it together. And so we also were so naive. We didn't know that ads were, for example, 30 seconds. We had no idea. So one ad, one of the first ads we handed in was two and a half minutes long. And uh, it's, what, it's what these days would be called content. Uh, and, would, yeah, would, yeah. and he said... For a feature film. He said, oh, well, it's supposed to be 30 yeah. seconds. And, you go, and we said, well, you didn't tell us. 30 seconds. He went, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll run it anyway. Wow. So it, 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 in a way, it was film school. We went, we went to film school. Mm. We went to film school uh, on somebody else's dime, mm. which was really exciting. And we had a couple of years of that, you know, where we were really encouraged, encouraged uh, and, and very motiva- motivated to uh, experiment. I think that's cool because I think what I did notice with you guys is, is no matter how tough the brief, that you guys were absolutely determined to find the shot and to do a great job. Where does that come from? Because they're obviously highly motivated. There's something in the solving of everything that is as attractive as the image. Mm. So if you've come to us with a with a problem, our job's to find the solution, whether that's an idea or an image or a story. And I think I think even now we still, you know, the stuff we were working on last month. You're still sort of pushing it. Well, what is what's underneath? What is the story? Yeah. And just don't, don't, you know, just don't take the surface value again. But what about the work ethic? Because um, I think the work you know, ethic. Even if, when I'm not working, I'm working. Yeah, like I'm I, I think thinking. that's. I think that's just an old working class fear. What you'll yeah. never work again. Yeah. So you you work because that's what we're supposed to do. And if you don't work, then then you'll never work again. Do you see it as work? I mean, do you guys live and breathe it, and that's kind of twenty four seven, you know, life? I know, life I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure it's work. Yeah, you know, it's life. We, we isn't have it? we have different skill sets, different skill sets for different people, uh-huh. and a lot of the time, I don't know about you, Andrew. A lot of the time these days, I find I'm a manager rather than any kind of director or photographer. I'm just managing other people's problems, which is a skill set, but. Even that is, yeah, I think that's life. That's not work. That's just our life. Mm. I, I, I think we live and breathe it. I mean, it's different now. We, we dropped, 
It was interesting. The TV commercials back then in the nineties, in the nineties, nineties, um, they were so exciting. All of a sudden, it wasn't just the two of us. You know, it was the two of us and a crew, mm. and it was so exciting. And the and the money increased. We were making um, good money at last. So we kind of got caught up in that and actually left photography behind. Um, mm. And it was only really this year and last year when the National Portrait Gallery found a. An arch- found a, a lost archive of the Douglas Brothers and um, and put an exhibition together that we kind of looked again at that part of our lives because we never really looked back. We didn't consider ourselves artists, so we'd never seen our work as art as such. You know, we tried to, but we never saw it as art. We never saw it as stuff for the wall. We saw it as stuff for magazines, really. Mm. You know, as best as we can do it. And then the... Um, and then... There was a, it's a funny story because there was all our work when we, 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 we kind of catastrophically split up, you know, like a, like a big Cain and Abel feud. And, uh, do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just touch on it now. But, um, as a result of that, all our work, all the photography work was just kind of unceremoniously stored away in storage. And that storage started, that storage unit started to be torn down in the big, King's Cross mm. redevelopment. Yeah, yeah. And our friend Tim, Tim Fennell, um, saw this coming and actually saved some work and really liked the work. You know, he just started to look through it. And, uh, and, and he took it down to the portrait gallery. And they just saw this as a kind of unseen, um, what do you call it, little, uh, little historical archive. Mm-hmm. You know, this is... Daniel Day-Lewis as a young man. This is Tilda Swinton as a 20-year-old. Yeah. You know, so the, so for the National Portrait Gallery, this was a real um, treasure trove. You previously had shown there before, hadn't you? Because I remember going to... Did you not have uh, work in their library at one stage there? Not National Portrait Gallery. No, oh, I, mean, I think the, the portrait, photographer's... Photographer's, photographer's Gallery, gallery yeah. exhibited in yeah, when we were right. in photography. But, that, but was, that was back in the day. The thing, the thing about seeing it again just three years ago or whatever was uh, I think we were both struck that the stuff had stood the test of time. Mm, yeah. So it was somehow it was timeless and that allowed us to look at it from a completely different perspective from back then and, and, and also pictures that we'd never really discovered back then suddenly started to emerge. Mm. A bit like the pictures always emerged out of black. We, we saw... Images emerged that we'd never really seen before. But um, you know, of course, about the the exhibition out here because you designed, yeah, well, you Seesaw. designed all that work. Yeah, that was cool. That was a fun project. Well, you had it in London first, didn't you? And then we here. had it in London, yeah. and then we. Which um, I didn't go to. I didn't go to the one here either. But no, it, it's it fine looked, looked amazing. But the, we, we didn't. But miss the, ca- you. the catalog. <laughs> oh, thank you. The catalog's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The posters, catalog, all the graphics yeah. are amazing. So well, thank you for that. But uh, but it was fun for us because um, in a way we were. We were going through a period where we weren't as certain, I'll talk for myself actually, where I wasn't very proud of what I'd done for the last 20 years, personally. It was all really? commercial work. It wasn't, some of it was good, but it so was... So was that when you guys split up? Or? Yeah, yeah. So we, we... God, that must have been tough then, to be thinking that badly about what you'd done. Well, it was, all of a sudden what had happened is that when we'd, it was really just... The commercial, the commercial had become my job. That was my job. It wasn't a stepping stone somewhere else. It was my job. Did and the commercials create the split then? It was definitely part. I mean, I think if we'd carried on doing photography, 
we probably wouldn't have split up um, because the dynamic, the dam- dynamic that worked for us was kind of kept between us. There mm. were, you know, when we did stills, when we went, you know, there's, there's the three of us. Mm. Sometimes you, you might have a, a, a An makeup adolfo. artist or, yeah, or an assistant. <laughs> but then suddenly when we were doing commercials, you know, there's 50 people and mm. those 50 people have to be told what to do. Yeah. And more and more, they were being told two completely different things by yeah, Andrew and yeah, I, yeah. which well, is it's half red, of them. It's black. That would have put a lot of pressure on Yeah, terrible guys. for us. So you end up, and it's bad. I mean, you're in, under enough pressure anyway on those things. So, yeah, no, those ended up in fist fights and all kinds of things, much to everyone's well, amusement. Well, one, real, of greatest, real fist one of the greatest fist fights. Real fist fights. One of the greatest fist fights was, um, one of the greatest ones was... Um, My two brothers. I'd come back from... No, we'd come back from Africa, and I'd broken my foot, goofing off in playing you, cricket on the beach in Africa. Stuart had fallen off a motorbike or something and broken his arm. Oh, my God. So there was a fist fight where I was beat, li- hobbling around, beating him with a, with a crutch, <laughs> and he was swinging his uh, cast, oh his plaster cast at me. That was, a pretty, that was brilliant. On that, set. It was on a dining bus, actually. It was on the, on the lunch break, but oh at night. God. Yeah. And, um, and the two of us were seen on this lunch bus at night, like, like dueling, like it was a duel. So we would go one way, and then the fight would go the other way. Holy and it was crap. too funny for anybody to stop thumping. us. A lot of thumping. In. It was like fast. Wow. It so was, was, that, was that the point when he goes, you know, I hate you. I'm never going to work with you again, or what? I no, guess I that think, just think, built think, up. Yeah, it wasn't think, that time, actually. No, I think we managed a few more after that. And I think what you know what actually happened was a was a big job came in, uh, and I said to Andrew, I, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, I think we were going to be away for sort of twenty days or something. I mean, a really nice big job, uh, and I just said, I just can't do it. It's too miserable. I can't do it. It was just too miserable yeah. for both of us. Uh, so so I said it, uh, and Andrew naturally you know got very offended i think part of it was suddenly would you know would we be able to do this without each other you know successfully um so i think you know andrew said well i'm doing it anyway it was fine so andrew went off and did the job came back and that was kind of it really he he'd shown that he'd shown that he could quite happily go and do it on his own so then it was my job to see if i could do the same or did you think he wasn't going to do it? No, not for a minute. Oh, right. Not for a minute. Uh, no, I, it was. Uh, I always assumed he'd actually do it. I didn't think he'd say, "Well, I'm not doing it either." Well, they say they say don't they? Don't never never work with family or animals. Yeah, but, <laughs> but and we were both. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys are familiar. I mean, incredibly tight, and the, always the, the, and the, were, the and thing, now you are again, which the, is cool. The but. thing about it is, is actually together we were in incredibly strong against anyone on the outside. Mm-hmm. So that's why we managed to get good stuff through. I mean, probably better stuff than, than certainly than I've made since then. You know, Andrew can speak for himself on that. But uh, we were incredibly strong-willed together. No matter that it was a bit painful for us to get there, we could get our way through because yeah. we were convinced we were right. And, and actually, mainly we were. So Actually, at the tail end of that story, so so... For the best part of 10 years, we, I came, I think I stayed in England a little bit. I, I, I teamed up with another producer, stayed in England a little bit, 
And um, and then I started to work in America, and then I started to spend more and more time in America. So actually, twen- 10 years went by. 10 years just went by. Blue mm-hmm. Bind. I, 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 I hadn't really seen Stuart. Well, six, six or seven wow. of those years, we didn't even speak. Didn't even speak. A- at wow. all. At all. I probably never a day that went by, you didn't think about each other, probably. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> well, um, it, I won't put words in your mouth. But um, and, and then we started to see each other, and then, but then Stuart moved out here to America three years ago, and uh, five, five years ago. Yeah. Is it really already? Already. Oh my god! Fine. Five years ago. Yeah. Um, and by then we were seeing each other. By then I knew his family. By then he knew my family, and uh, and then just recently. Um, what I was building up to was recently we just got an offer to do um, a big TV series together. Wow. Um, a, a producer friend of ours who knows us independently uh, and knows that we, and knows some of our history, knows that we used to work together, invited us to pitch on a, a TV doc series on football, on Brazilian football. Oh. And um, wow. we literally yesterday just finished the pitch on that. And you guys so, are big football Nuts, aren't you? Well, uh, Stuart's a football nut, and I'm a, you know, human nature nut. So, you know, I love, uh, I love what elite athletes go through to be an elite athlete. I love that kind of mentality, and uh, and I love football enough, yeah, yeah. you know, to be interested. But um, so you you've pitched it when when you start filming it. Uh, it goes before the the streaming service now today. It would start shooting, I think, in March. So you excited about that? I mean, is Very it, how excited. many how many part series is it? Six part series, six hours of television. Wow. I know. So we worked. It would take well. you a while to shoot all that. We it? worked really well together. Yeah, on that. Um, but that was that was that was interesting because, you know, within an hour, we'd had our first argument, uh, and then the argument had a resolution that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I can't help but laugh. You just said that with a very straight face. Oh, I, I, I think it's quite fascinating. So we, you know, within the hour of the first meeting, we had the first argument, uh, and the argument had a solution or resolution that wouldn't have been possible twenty years ago. We managed to get past. You're, the, you're not part of this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, we managed to get we managed to get past the point of uh, you know whatever would have been the breaking point before. If wow. you, we managed to get past that point. Uh, and then kind of regroup and be strong again together rather than, you know, rather than just be butting up against each other. So that was quite, that was an interesting exercise. It's, well, you know, it's important. How are you going to, I mean, you talked earlier about the fact that when you're shooting commercials and stuff that you were going to, the people involved, the 50 people who were reporting to you guys, supporting you guys, were confused about who was saying what because it was conflicting. I mean, how are you going to get around that again? Uh, divide and rule. Yeah. So we divide the labor. Because a doc is a different beast anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. And uh, there are so many kind of moving bits and pieces that there's frankly plenty of work for everybody. Like Stuart is still interested in 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 shooting. Like Stuart continues to shoot to actually uh, do his own, you know, cinematography. And I'm more interested in uh, what people say and how to, you know, track what people say. So, so for example, on this, I'm much more interested in the interview process and Stuart's much more interested in what the world outside reveals. Mm-hmm. So there's a natural division of labor there. 
Wow, that's really cool. You were doing doc. You've been doing documentaries, haven't you, Andrew? I did one this year about tennis, um, a feature length one, an hour and a half, and that was interesting. That was about about Federer and Nadal, and then I and then I did another documentary for the BBC twelve years ago. Mm -hmm. When I say twelve, it's probably fifteen. Yeah, I would think hey, thirty because I'm living dog years now. Yeah, <laughs> it must have been two thousands. Yeah. Early 2000s. But I did a, another feature length uh, back then. So it's a, it's something I've always liked. I, I mean, it doesn't pay very much, but I but I do like it. You know, I like the form. Mm. And actually, with all the new streaming services, with the revolution in television, the way we watch, the way we consume television now, um, docs are, are having a kind of golden yeah, yeah. era. Yeah. No, it's it's. I think it's. We've been going so long now that almost uh, the way it, the cycles of the cycles of development have somehow looped around and now suit us again. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I think that's quite interesting. That. And what you, you've obviously, Stuart, just done a, a short film, 15-minute film. I did. I worked on the kind of titles for it. I Fantastic titles. <laughs> Not the titles, the poster. Yeah. What was the title again? Because I can never remember how to say that. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce because it it's in Irish. So cool it, it's called Coolanty, and it means the back of the house Yeah. yeah. in, in Irish. Beautiful, very moving film uh is that coming out soon yeah i think it was finished today actually so it started going into the festivals today what about like you're obviously in Holly you're in hollywood is there opportunities that come out of hollywood for you guys i don't know i mean andrew can talk about hollywood that i'm only five years into this so my my view of hollywood may be different from andrew's view of hollywood but mm -hmm. all it seems to me is you might be in hollywood but so is every other bastard in the world <laughs> I mean, you have the best directors, the best actors, the, the best technicians, the best cinematographers. E everyone, everyone is here. So it's the same as everywhere else. You're still fighting for a, a smaller and smaller, is that you know, your, smaller, smaller pond. I mean, is that why you guys came here? Did you want to do feature films? When I came here, it was to open up possibilities outside of commercials. Uh, the family were interested in coming here. Andrew was here. Um... And you never know, you never know where the possibilities are unless you, you know, sometimes you have to stir the soup and see what comes up. Mm. So I came just with an open mind to see what the possibilities were. But had you had enough of London at that time? Is that why? Not at all. No, I love London. You're Lo still going back and forth, I Yeah, guess. yeah, love London. But there was, uh, you know, there are possibilities here. And, and you know, with the, with the, the TV doc that we're doing together, you could say that, you know, that move has been justified, perhaps a little slower than I was anticipating, but it's been justified because that wouldn't have been possible had I stayed in London. Just looking back to kind of the days in Clerkenwell when you guys were working together and like it was busy, 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 and you're like, you know, the energy of, of that, the, the dynamics of that, and, you know, being in, in such demand and have such visibility. I'm not saying you haven't got it today, but you know what I mean? Like there was a... Do you feel, do you feel like that... I guess like me, as I'm thinking... I've. I only feel relevant when I've got people wanting me to do stuff or my company to do stuff. They have opportunities. Opportunity is what drives me. I feel like I love opportunities. I'm very optimistic. I want to just want to you know, take a brief and turn it into something great. Um, it's probably, if you have, and I've been through lean periods too, where I'm in quiet times and I go, oh my God, I, I don't have those opportunities in abundance that I had before. You know, and then all of a sudden they start coming in for whatever reason. But I, th I, I, think, mean, I think there's two things there, though. I mean, that one, it's human nature because we we all want to feel 
valued mm-hmm. in some way, don't we? We still want to feel esteem by people desiring us in some way, whether it's physically attractive or, or via your profession. Mm-hmm. You know, you want you want to be desirable. And then I think if you're lucky enough to be working at something that you really enjoy, that is stimulating, you just want more and more of that because you love the stimulation of that. So I think that's that, that's kind of human nature, for certainly yeah. for people like us in creative industries, wouldn't you say? But, I was always you know. curious about artist-artists, painter-sculptors, because um, I had a sculptor friend. I mean, he's still a friend. I just don't see him very much anymore. But But every day... He would get up and he was a sculptor. That's what he was. Yeah. But even if he didn't actually sculpt that day, he was still a sculptor. Uh-huh. That's what he was. And, um, you know, and a new friend of mine here, the, 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 the boyfriend of my stepdaughter, he's a painter. So he might not paint every day, but that's what he is. And, um, and in a way, I, I grew up, and, and I think Stuart did too, we were much more project-oriented, like... The, you know, I say, I say that, that the old studio was very much like an artist studio, but to some extent because there were so many projects coming through. So in the morning, I, I'm stuffed if I don't have a project. So I'm not kind of personally motivated to, you know, I'm not writing a novel right now. I'm not working on a memoir, you know, so I'm very... I'm very commercial in that sense. Mm. I'm very much an artisan. I want, I need something to get my teeth into, mm-hmm. a problem to solve, like you said earlier, uh, which is a shame. I never intended to be that. I mean, I, I, you know, I went through art school. I thought that there was a little part of me that was always going to be a fine artist, but this is not true. So, but how do you stay? Yeah, you, how do you how do you maintain your wellness? And you might laugh about this, but um, like you guys are pretty fit. <laughs> you guys are, you know, you're not. Uh, You've, you you haven't aged, um, and I kind of wonder how do you manage to kind of find that balance? What do you do in your life for yourself to kind of making sure that you guys are optimum health? We don't, or I don't. Um, I He's think got good genes. Well, not particularly. No. I mean, but you're not a fat bastard, are you? Like, what, <laughs> how can that be? No, well, I, I you think, run up and down a hill every morning with uh, the dogs. Ask uh, ask ask anyone who's got four kids. You, you know, that's... Uh, no, you get fat bastards with four kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, there, there I've is... I've got three. But it's not... There you go. I, I don't think Vince... You're mindful is, about your food, it's, your, I don't your think, diet. I don't think Vince is necessarily talking about a physical wellness, but there's a there's a, there's also a mental wellness well, in both, there. Yeah, both. yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think having a big family... Um, put, destroys any chance of mental wellness. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it, it puts you... You know, you have to be aware of it because you get on the hamster wheel and the hamster wheel never, ever slows down. It speeds up and it's still speeding up. So you have to somehow find a way of being fit in mind in order to keep that going Uh, because otherwise if the hamster wheel stops, then suddenly everyone falls off. So I think it's, you know, I think it's enforced. Uh, I I think by nature I'd probably be very lazy. Ah. Um, what, because of procrastination? You've probably got no room to procrastinate now, do you? No, I mean, I'd love to be, uh, a, a, as as Andrew said, I'd love to be a sculptor or a painter or <laughs> a writer. If I were writer. a sculptor, <laughs> then again, no. Wouldn't you? I'd love to be able to do that. But yeah. that's not... Well, you haven't, though. It's not in, no, well, it's you, not, it's but, not in my makeup. Yeah, but you are creative, of course. I mean, you are you're creative, yeah. expressing yourself through a different way. The wellness, I think I do... 
you know, I, I play, I'm a late onset musician, whatever that is. Like eight years ago or nine years ago now, I decided when we were young, uh, our older brother was the musician of the family. Mm. So he's, so that's gone. So, you oh, know, he was a drummer, wasn't he? Well, a guitarist, a really oh, good one. But, um, but in a way, I, you know, especially for me, because he's close in age to me, I never wanted to be, you know, something that he was. So I tried to be other things. Um, and, and now, finally, you know, eight years ago, I went, well, that's nonsense. Like, I can. So I started to learn the piano and, uh, and the guitar. So that's very med- meditative for me. That keeps me well. The, the, so that's for yourself? Do you do that? That's for myself. That's for myself. I cycle a lot. That's for myself. Wow. What? I mean, like road, like road bike, yeah. Road bike, wow. Yeah. So I do that for myself. How often do you do that? A couple of times a week. What about you, Stuart? Chasing the kids around the house or what? Well, you travel a lot still, don't you? Yeah, no, a lot of the work is, uh, a lot of the work still all over that the place. That takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, it's, a, it's still a privilege. It's still a privilege. Yeah. I mean, you know, I come back. I just came back from Morocco, and I'm moaning about how it went in Morocco and how chaotic it was. But uh, then you stop yourself and go, Jesus, there's a lot of people who would actually like to see Morocco. So yeah. you put it back in perspective again yeah, yeah, yeah. and and stop being such a prima and uh, realize you're lucky. And is Jenny very supportive of you? I mean, it's that makes a big difference, doesn't it, in terms of like having the support your partner being supportive of. All these trips away. Well, it, it helps. It it's help, not a holiday. It helps mean? that it's never changed. So yeah. from day one, I mean, we, 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 we met on we met on one of these jobs. So, you know, from day one, it's always been the same. And the same for the kids as well. So, you know, they know they know dad goes away. They know dad comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been fairly consistent, really, for the past sort of 20-something years. And then are your kids showing any, you know, signs of being creative as well? I mean, all kids are creative, but... Sonny is, Sonny's, um, yeah, so Sonny's at UCLA, but he's, uh, he's doing a lot of, of, uh, script writing in the background, nothing to do with his coursework. And, uh, for 20 years old, he's phenomenal. Wow. I mean, he's a better writer than me. Uh, and it's all original and it's all really of the zeitgeist. So, you know, a year and a half ago, he wrote a piece about school shootings that was really hard you know, from the perspective of the school shooter. Mm. Uh, now he's writing another one, which is about um, campus rape. So, oh you know, really stuff of the moment. And uh, um, I say, nothing to do with his college work, with his school Decent work. actor as well. Good actor. Yeah, apparently good actor. Wow. So has he been influenced by being here in LA? Is that what's opened up that for him? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the people he's been mixing with and, uh, you know, he can see the possibilities out there. Um, I'm not sure he would have done this if he'd been in London. So uh, exposure to the people is 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 good, and and not from me. I haven't asked him to do any of this. I haven't pushed him. Yeah, but the climate is is something, isn't it? Um, yeah. So my oldest girl just graduated. Um, my oldest girl Sasha just graduated Cal Arts in photography, and um, and even though I didn't raise her, she was raised in New York by her mom and uh, and stepdad. Her environment was always kind of creative. Like wherever she looked, there were people making a living out of being artists or being photographers or filmmakers. So poor thing had no chance. You know, she mm. she never had a chance to be a a computer engineer or something, even yeah. if she wanted to be. And um, and and interestingly, my little boy, uh, Jack Henry, eight years old, um, he comes home in the evening and um, 
before after school and before he does his homework, he'll make a. He's eight years old. He'll make a comic book. You know, yesterday's was called the Hive of Heroes. Wow! And it'll be like a twelve-page comic book. Gee. Uh, so pretty funny. And again, I, I you know title. I don't know how much of that is to do with school or how much of it is to do with. You, you know, it, it was funny when we were growing up. We didn't know that there were jobs like we're doing now. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. You know, in our house, we did. I didn't know there was your job. I thought type just happened or graphics just happened. I didn't know people like us made movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know there were jobs like, you know, gaffers and grips and cinematographers and screenwriters. I just didn't, we didn't grow up knowing that stuff. No. It was only years later that we failed at accountancy and law. Yeah. Um, how do you know when it's right? How do you know when you guys working on a project that it's, it's got to the point? Is it because you run out of time? Or, you know, is it going to be delivered or is it, you know, do you ever let work get through that you go, you know what, that's not oh. not as good as it should have you been? You should talk about the film experience because it's fresh in your mind. But I, th- but I think that's applicable to everything. Mm. I, th- yeah, I, but, I, I think everything everything that goes out isn't right. Everything that, go- everything that goes out that has had to go through a conduit of a c- committee of some kind isn't right. Um I don't. I'm not sure any good creative decisions come out of a committee because you just end up with uh, some form of beige. Because <laughs> if you mix everyone's colours, I mean, it just comes out beige. So I but, think. I think. I think there's that. I mean, what Andrew was saying about about the short film was, uh, uh, I wasn't because we we're relying a lot upon goodwill and favours. So I couldn't actually be in attendance for a lot of things. Um, but so necessarily what's come out the other end isn't exactly what I would have wanted it to be. Um, that doesn't mean it's not good. Um, I just would have done something slightly differently. It's very easy for us to judge other people's work as complete than judge our own work. So, you know, you, you, you did some great type for the poster. and That's fantastic. I don't think that could be any better. Fantastic. You're very kind. And you said, well, you know, well, maybe I could do that. And you started sending me other stuff. I was like, don't send me other. I don't want to see any other stuff. It's like it was great. Um, what um, what your question reminded me of was that um, there's, a, there's a trend within, within the new television, the new drama narrative, where um, lots of opportunities are, are, are offered, a bit like a video game. Mm-hmm. So the... So all that the filmmaker is doing, or the, the, what would have been called the author, all they're doing is like creating different routes to a narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking how unattractive I find that. I mean, one, because of that idea of beige, but two, because I realized that what I like in my artists is um, I like their uniqueness of voice. You know, I like somebody to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for better or for worse, I like there to be an unencumbered voice, like in a book, uh, you know, a novel or a uh, or a painting or a film. You know, I want it to be kind of odd and quirky and not kind of maybe not perfect, and uh, but to be expressing some single single person's point of view on the world. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's quite important to me. I mean, I can 
you know, in, in the books I read, I mean, I'm often looking for that. There was, uh, and in the shows I watch on, you know, I watch a lot of TV. I love watching TV. But in the sh- a lot of the shows I see, they could have been, they're clever and they could have been made by several people, but there's no kind of kernel of singularity of something personal to them. You know, they're entertaining. You know, the the any of the 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 superhero movies, they're, they're kind of pretty interchangeable. You know, they work on a kinetic level, they're very entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, they stimulate the minds of young children, but they're not really a person they're not really one person's vision of the world, I don't find. So so you know, when I think about VR and technological development, it makes me think about that, like the end of the the single author. Well, do you, do you not see that as a medium that you could utilize? Like no. If, you, if you were still to direct through that, would that not still have your voice? Well, I don't think it does because I think that what I you're guess doing you find your way is now. you're handing over the authorship yeah, in a way, yeah, aren't true. you? But I mean, I can see that it's attractive because video games are almost more popular popular as a form than than TV now. And also a lot of shows are are getting instant feedback on their on their viewers. Mm. So um you get this kind of feedback loop where a show can be refined almost in real time. Yeah. Like uh like actually that applies to advertising as well now. So avata- so things can be refined almost in real time with the amount of data that's coming back in. Oh somebody switched off at went to make the cup of tea at that point. So that point won't exist next time because mm. they'll change that. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I think that's an interesting area. Uh, yeah, I'm not I, terribly interested in that. Yeah. I'm no, not sure. I, I, I don't think there's ever been a good creative idea that comes out of research. Yeah. I, I think it, it's, it, 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 it shaves and polishes every unique shape uh, until it's some kind of conformity. Yeah, you mean research on your concept? Research, re- 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 so for us, you know, more commonly, D- data driven. Yeah, for, so more commonly, by the time we get a, an advertising script, it's been through six months of research. Mm-hmm. So the 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 kernel of a good idea that uh, the creative team would originally have put in there uh, has already had that anything, you know, any any idiosyncrasies uh, shaved off. So it's becoming as mainstream as possible. Oh, so you don't see that as becoming sharper because they've done that research to find some kind of key insights. No, because all It the, tends to become duller. Yeah, because the, the, oh. re, the research is... The wider demographic is, is their interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the research is actually making it be conformist. So actually working... It's the antithesis of a single voice. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, that's why we work a lot with Bland. So just talking about the you know one person's single voice. Obviously, you know Mr. T is in control here. Um, what's it like? You've been you've been here in America now for a while. Uh, like you're very you're Londoners originally, and now you're in the states. And now we got Trump ruling the country, and the, the you know the world. What does that feel like? Are you guys nervous about that in any way? Does that affect your creativity in any way? Yeah. I think it does mine. It affects my daily life. I I think about it all the time. I think about, you know, I can't think about the fires that are are still burning 10 miles away. Here, these wildfires that are burning 10 miles away, just north of here. I can't think of them without tracking that idea back to Trump. Uh, 
his dismantling of democracy in this country, his deliberate flouting of any environmental policy in this country, even though it's clearly, even though it's clear that that there is climate change. So everything I think about, I I pass tents on the street of homeless people, and it takes me to Trump and what Trump's doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it affects my creativity. I mean, it it. it 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 kind of you know I feel as though I would like to do some work about it or do something about it. Mm. I mean, we'll probably end up feeding the homeless next week at Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, we're very charitable. Mm-hmm. Haven't found a, a way of making. I haven't found a creative way of making. Well, I think it's so sad. I mean, I mean, I'd have to tell my kids, you know, the way he's seen on TV and the terrible comments he makes, and the lies and all that stuff he tells. I mean, it's it's. He, He's 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 kind of people look at that and as a role model. I know. And I, that's I, was, what's scary. I, was, I was talking yeah. to Jenny about this just the other day because there's um there's a difference between being here and being immersed uh, in the rhetoric that's here, uh-huh. uh, and then actually being in Europe for a while or Asia or or anywhere else and seeing it from the outside because it there's definitely a different perspective. Um, and what is that? Well, here. Here, people have accepted how it happened and why it happened, uh, and I think are trying to formulate ways of combating it. The rest of the world is uh, how on earth did something as preposterous as that happen? <laughs> and there's, um, I think that shows, a, 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 and I would have been the same had I been in London, but there, you know, there's vast swathes of this country that actually actually think he's doing a very good job. Uh, and that's something the rest of the world doesn't see. Mm. Um, and then when you're here, that puts a lot of everything, everything that's going on puts in the stark contrast. And, it, and it's actually terrifying. Mm. It's really terrifying. And, and everyone, just because I have my own you know, liberal views, doesn't make me any more right than a person yeah. in Arkansas with their views. However... Yeah, it does. <laughs> However, the widening gap between us is terrifying. And I know I know that the person, I'm not picking on anyone in Arkansas, just it's, it begins with A, so it came out. Mm. Um, they're not driving past 50, 70, 150 tents, you know, just to go down the road of homeless people. Mm. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's shocking. Mm. Um, funny enough, we look, we, we can... So other people can see can see us in America right now, and we can look back at London and go, "Well, that's pre- Brexit's preposterous." Yeah, know? like why would anybody want to dismantle Europe when it was, you know, it's been peace in Europe now for the longest for, time. For yeah. the longest time, yeah. like why would you want to dismantle that? Like you can, there are things to fix certainly, but why would you want to dismantle that? You know, on the basis of some um, arcane propaganda. You know, so again, there's some extraordinary things happening in. You know, the English-speaking world. Yeah. Mm. So do you guys feel like you've designed your lives? Has it been a, has it been a series of events that have kind of dictated where o- you are? Today? Honestly? Yeah. Of course, honestly. No. Personally, I think, I think I've stumbled from catastrophe to catastrophe. <laughs> but within that, I feel I've been hugely fortunate in that stumbling. Um... I'm not sure that any of it was was deliberate uh, from the moment Andrew gave me 
a little Kodak Instamatic and and set me on this course. Mm-hmm. Um, designed my life. I don't know. I, if I look back, I think if I was going to design my life, I would have designed it better. But then I'm not sure it would have come out any better. What about you, Andrew? Designing a life is making choices. And I, I think you made choices. I think you've made choices. I'm, I mean, I haven't designed my life, you know, to be a fantasy life or anything. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, in some beautiful house in Greece or Ibiza or something. So I haven't designed my life in that sense. But I've made um, choices about my life, you know, as best I could. Mm. And so in that sense, it's, it's designed and I'm pretty um, fulfilled, pretty satisfied. Mm. Um, I would still like a place in Greece. <laughs> so what does the future look like for you guys? Are you going to continue just to work together? I mean, will you be working to the day you drop dead or what, what's going to happen? We have to, don't we? Yeah. I mean, have you seen the price of college here? <laughs> <laughs> I've got four kids. Life's expensive yeah. here. Yeah. So, no, I, well, I mean, I, I would I would quite happily. I mean, I love that you see, you know, you see Ridley Scott for 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 however belligerent he is. But at at seventy whatever, and he's still so going to work, strong. cranking films out. I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's, and he's not doing it because he needs the money. So yeah, he's doing yeah. it because he loves what he does. And I think any, anyone would want to do that. What mm. What advice would you give you know a young Andrew or young Stuart just starting out? You know, just finishing high school right now. Don't work with your brother. <laughs> no, seriously. I don't no, no, but family's great. You know, definitely work with your brother. Go into... And sis- or sister. Or sister. Go into coding. Go into computer engineering. In in 20 years, that's going to be... That's going to be the kind of aristocracy. You're always going to have landowners and inherited wealth, but the kind of job aristocracy is going to be in um, in engineering, computer engineering. There'll be some There'll be some outliers like us, you know, there'll be some outlier artists and communicators, but the mainstream will be in computer engineering, I think. Mm. I think I'd be much more basic. I would just say, keep going. Keep going. So when people tell you to stop, don't stop, just keep going. What do you mean, keep going like career-wise or what? Yeah, just keep pushing. Whatever you choose to do, just keep going. Don't don't stop because something happens. Don't stop because you're tired, or don't stop because someone says it won't happen. Because I think all the all the great people you've you read about now, or probably ever read about, the one thing the one thing they have in common is they kept going. And what does it feel like when you find your thing? What does it feel like when you're doing what you love? But it must feel great. I wonder if, again, if it comes down to that uh, uh, sense of esteem, that sense of being valued. Um, as Andrew said earlier, we ju- we just finished this huge document for this uh, for this TV project, mm-hmm. and uh, the guys we were doing it for said, uh, "That's fantastic. We would never have got this piece of work without you. You guys did really, really well." And that moment is a. Uh, you feel quite good about yourself because actually, yeah, we did do a good job. We did, we did our job. We did it well. So thank you very much. But that and that was by design, though, wasn't it? You you knew 
well, maybe you didn't know what to do originally, but you you delivered on something, you know, a vision that you had. Yeah, we, we were set a problem and we solved it uh, maybe not to the best of our abilities. Maybe we could have gone further, but we did a good job. We, we solved... We solved the problem we were set. And, so, and, what's, I, so what's the feeling of that? Well, I'm saying, uh, I'm wondering if that's the same for anyone, someone who writes a song, someone who scores a goal, well, someone who solves a, it's a municipal thing, because what, the sense of value. Our satisfaction is, is really in validation. Yeah, so is it in creative expression or validation? Is the validation greater than the creative? If you, I think if you come from, if you're somehow rooted in insecurity... Uh, which certainly I am. Which most of us are. I don't know. I don't know because I only really know me. Well, Andrew doesn't. Yeah. Said, has a yeah. I so watch, if, if you're rooted in there, then the validation is 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 all important. Yeah. But, so, but Jack, I, I can't come to it from a position of no utter confidence. I know it's a it's a tricky one. It, it, it's quite a big question. So my my eight year old boy will do those drawings, like I said, will do those comic books, and entirely for his own. Satisfaction, their their pure self-expression, and um, and if I'm looking over his shoulder, or, or I could say, "Will you show me? Will you share that?" And he'll share it with me. But he doesn't need to. He doesn't need. He doesn't need me to stick it up to be the complete ex- to stick <laughs> to put it up on the wall yeah. to be a complete experience. He's already got the satisfaction of that self-expression. I think that's what you're talking about. That was what you were getting at. Yeah, yeah. And but, I'm not sure I have that. I think because uh, um, project-driven, I, I need the applause on the project. Well, I just want to say it's been fantastic catching up with you guys here in um, Santa Monica. Honestly? Uh, sorry? Honestly? Well, well, are we honestly in Santa Monica? <laughs> <laughs> Could be anywhere. I had to think about that. Yeah. Honestly, what? Honestly, just fucked fantastic. up my own thing. I'll have to do it again. <laughs> Remember, remember in Miami. Oh my God, you guys, the trips, the trips away on the Polaroid shoots. You guys used to like your sunglasses. Set me up. My favorite thing with your sunglasses is still the best ever. That took all night to wait for that joke. If you feed, put those on. Yeah, just so you guys know, we're shooting Miami, and we're in a beautiful Art Deco hotel. Yeah, yeah, South Beach. Yeah, and I remember in the morning. I think we're having breakfast. We had a shooter in the morning. I have very uh, small pupils, so I had to wear my sunglasses. I put them on. Just as I was walking down the stairs of, of the hotel, and they had blacked out my sunglasses, and I thought, "Did I fall down the stairs?" Yeah, you did. Yeah, oh, fucking hell. But we we did that. We uh, blacked them out the night before, so we had to oh. wait all night for that joke to uh, yeah, come yeah. fruition. Yeah, and I remember that time in the car park when uh, where was that? That was in uh, in well, your Spain, handbrake turn. Yeah, handbrake in, turns. In you guys somewhere. Were, yeah, you guys were doing handbrake turns. I was very impressed with that. Uh, and I did in the car park, and I hit a Straight supporting the structure. <laughs> <laughs> and we came down in the morning like, Vince, what to the car when oh, I parked it? It was fine. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah they were kind of crazy times. They were crazy times. Let loose. But, um, yeah, thanks, guys. It's been really cool to catch up with you guys in, um, in Santa Monica and catch up on old times and also hear about what you guys are doing today. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. <laughs>